Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. You never want to find yourself out on the water fishing without the essentials. So it's best to always pack a Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie to protect against the sun. I mean, it provides great protection and it's really breathable so you don't get hot. That's a win-win. Columbia PFG has a lot of great gear. So before you head out on the water, head over to Columbia.com/PFG to shop their performance fishing gear. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. Hello and welcome to the MMQB Monday Morning NFL Podcast. I am Gary Grambling. I am joined by Connor Orr of the Weak Side Podcast. And, and Connor, as we talked about, if you were looking at the schedule of games on like Sunday morning, you'd be like, eh, not, not great, not the most exciting uh, sort of sort of schedule this week. The games themselves weren't uh, weren't dynamite. Sunday night was great. We'll get to that, but. Uh, just so much news coming out of these games. So many major developments coming out of the games this week. It, it was, it was in the end. I mean, this was, this was a a sad week, but uh, a fascinating week for the league. Yeah, I mean, it just started out with uh, you know more schedule Jenga, and uh, you know I think the the Patriots Broncos game is now scheduled for June of 2022. I think <laughs> is when that was officially moved to. Um, but yeah, I mean injuries, um, massive upsets. Alex Smith coming back, which was really the only redeeming um, part of this Sunday. Everything else was sort of uh, crazy and uh, and morose a little bit. Well, let's start with the most morose, which would be uh, the mm. Cowboys-Giants game. And look, Cowboys got to win. They need wins. They are leading the NFC East now by half a game. But uh, obviously, the, the big headline from the day was uh, Dak Prescott goes down and I get you know. Let's start with sort of the immediate impact here, and then we'll get into some some of the uh, long term stuff with Dak. But uh, Andy Dalton obviously takes over at quarterback here. Uh, when they signed Andy Dalton this summer, 
it was kind of like, all right, you know, Andy Dalton, and, and don't get me wrong, Andy Dalton is not in the class of Dak Prescott, but you would look at this and say, like, you know, based on what Andy Dalton did over his Bengals career, his best years there, uh, and based on the supporting cast they have in Dallas, that's that's actually not a bad situation at all if Andy Dalton is forced into action here. But um, the issue is, I mean, always, he's always had trouble in a muddy pocket. Now you have a team, the weapons are great, but both offensive tackles are out. Uh, they played a giant team yesterday that has no, I mean, nothing off the edge. There, There is a just complete, it, it's almost like an anti-pass rush off the edge for the <laughs> Giants. And uh, so you got to sort of break it in slowly here, but I don't know. I, I, I'm not feeling great about uh, Andy Dalton keeping this team in, uh, in, 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 well, they'll, they'll compete for the division title, but, uh, not in any sort of a great shakes here going forward. I, you know, I, am I just being too pessimistic? Is it the weather that's sort of getting me down at this point in, in the Northeast where it's just rainy and overcast? Well, I would say this. So the pass that he completed to Michael Gallup to set up the game winning field goal, everyone's saying that, oh, well, that's a throw that Andy Dalton can make. And, uh, you know, and that's evidence that he can keep us going moving forward. I would counter that by saying um, next gen stats ran their numbers on it. And that pass falls incomplete 85 percent of the time. Right. So you figure he got a 15 in 100 shot there, uh, took it got it and now everybody feels a little bit better about having Andy Dalton for the long term but that becomes so meaningless um as as we move forward and um I think what I wrote on Sunday was that you're just going to see day by day minute by minute all the little things that you start missing about Dak Prescott and regardless of what happens with them moving forward. I think that if I'm Jerry Jones, I'm probably a little bit upset that, you know, I didn't get all this contract stuff done when I did, because this could get ugly again, or you're going to have to franchise him coming off of an ankle injury, which is going to be weird too. Well, look, it's uh, you figure they're going to run the ball more. I mean, really, they need to run the ball more anyway. Just keep that defense off the, off the field because, Oh my goodness, that is. <laughs> Ooh. Uh, Dak has he just adds that little extra value to the run game because you have to respect the backside uh keeper against him Andy Dalton can you know yeah I I guess you could do that with Andy Dalton not as effectively you're you're probably not going to have that in the back of your mind like you do with Dak but uh you know it's it's you downgrade the run game again we'll see what happens going forward the passing game obviously the weapons are great but uh, you know Dalton under pressure it's just uh I don't know I don't think it adds up uh, to anything very good offensively here for the Cowboys going forward. Uh, and if you're talking about Dak in the long term, I mean, look, the understanding with with sort of the contract impasse was Dak wanted one of those, you know, three-year deals where he can, uh, you know, he can basically negotiate a new deal every couple of seasons here. The Cowboys wanted it more like five and six to get that, uh, you know, not only the long-term guarantee here for them, but they also, you know, they they don't have to pay him again in in the short term as these, uh, as these contracts sort of seem to, to increase exponentially. So uh, they end up not getting the long-term deal and, you know, look, they signed Dalton and it was kind of like, well, you know, we'll see. We think we have a great team around Dak Prescott, and we'll see what happens with sort of a replacement level quarterback now. And now they get to see what it's what it's going to be. And I, I don't think they're going to like what they see. Yeah, and I think that this is going to be a wonderful education for Cowboys fans who, even in the midst of the Tyron Smith and Lyle Collins injuries, 
uh, have held on to this platitude that this is a this is a team built around the offensive line and the running game, and that any quarterback is sort of a system product, and that Prescott was extremely fortunate. I mean, no stats bear that out. He's an excellent individual player that has been kind of keeping this offense afloat for the last three years. But I think now that will all become fairly clear. You know, I think that every Cowboy fan is just like, yeah, we'll just run Ezekiel Elliott 30 times and and then play action. And and somehow that magically happens. But uh, no, I, I don't think that's going to happen. And I think the B side to this is it's going to be fascinating to see Mike McCarthy without a world beating top five quarterback, which is something that we've never really seen mm. before. Right. I mean, Mike McCarthy walks in with Brett Favre and then Aaron Rodgers and then you go to uh, Dak Prescott, which is a pretty nice little uh, um, Bruce Arians-esque career uh, slide. And you didn't even have to stop off at the Kelly Holcomb station. You got to keep going with all these great guys. And so I think that is going to be really interesting too. What is Mike McCarthy without a top three quarterback? Well, you got a little Deshaun Kaiser flavor there back in the day with the the Packers. Mm, True, true. uh, Brett Hundley, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. They, they, they won the game yesterday, by the way. Yeah, the Cowboys beat the <laughs> oh. Giants, so so good on them. Uh, that defense, though, man. I mean, they, they, they're they going to have to score points, or they're going to have to, like I said, uh, you want to run the ball 30 times a game with Ezekiel Elliott, that's that's great, and the run game better work. But, uh, um, gosh, that defense can't stop anyone. I mean, the good news is that you could, um, I think a couple uh, people figured this out yesterday. There's a scenario where the NFC East winner uh, has four wins at the end of the season. <laughs> um, and and so I think that we might be kind of circling the drain there uh, of that. So the good news is the Cowboys have, what, two wins now? So they only need to get two more, and you're basically in a power position in the division. So defense be damned, you know, just just get it right for the playoffs. We'll get it. I, 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 we'll get to it later. But I'm all sorts of bullish on the Eagles now. After uh, I, I'm fully back on the bandwagon, oh. and they will uh, surely disappoint me after that. Fulgum, Fulgum, can't get enough Fulgum. Uh, by the way, before we move on, Connor, I just want to remind you that your podcast, the Weak Side Podcast, that you and Jenny Frentis do, and is absolutely wonderful. It's not on this feed anymore. So, uh, you, if you want to hear yourself, you got to subscribe to the Weak Side podcast feed. It's out there. Everyone should get it. Uh, Albert Breer has his own feed, too. Uh, it's actually his old feed, and we just sort of, uh, uh, you know, re, I don't know, reincarnated it. It was like the phoenix rising from the ashes, and now uh, uh, now he has that. But if you're looking for those shows, if you were disappointed last week that you didn't get them and thought we, like, took a week off, we didn't. The Monday show is on this feed. The Gambling Podcast on Fridays is on this feed. The Weak Side Podcast has its own feed. Albert Breer has his own feed. Subscribe to him now. We'll wait. We'll wait. Or hit pause, and we'll just jump back into it. Do it. All right, Sunday night football. Sunday, this was this was the best game of the week, uh, if you're just talking about what goes on on the field here. Uh, Seahawks-Vikings. We'll start with the positive, because we are, we are optimistic, positive people. Uh, Russell Wilson to DK Metcalf on fourth downs twice on the final drive. That's what ends up sealing the game here on a night when the Seahawks offense was human. They were, they were vulnerable. They were, uh, uh, you know, they were not on the field a whole lot. And when they were, it was kind of, uh, all right, this is not a team that uh, I guess you can pencil in for 35 points every week, but, uh, uh, they needed points at the end and they, they got it. Yeah. Um, and it was interesting to see Russell Wilson sort of, 
try to figure out that Vikings defense. And and Zimmer is so fascinating because it, you can just his defense can look dead on arrival for four weeks, and then all of a sudden, you know, against the Seahawks, he'll kind of throw out this first half masterpiece where they hold them to you know basically nothing, and uh, and Wilson's sort of scrambling around. All of his um, you know immediate reads are cut off, and and even when he tries to make those plays, he's under pressure from you know fourth and fifth round draft picks and it it was incredible and I I thought that that gave me more confidence in the Vikings moving forward I think than anything that we've seen to this point this season outside of maybe Kirk Cousins and Adam Thielen keeping everything alive but yeah then the Seahawks just find a way to win again and it's just uh you know they're they're incredible man it was Mike Zimmer went in here with a perfect game plan here You, you saw all the uh uh, all the cover two looks, uh, they control the ball offensively. They put up points early, so they were playing ahead, uh, which which to some extent kept the Seahawks from just you know running the ball 40 times against their uh, deep cover two shell here. But uh, they took away the deep stuff from Russ. And uh, you know the Seahawks didn't have an answer in the first half. They found answers early in the second half, and then they sort of went dry again. Uh, I will say it, it was just kind of a... It was just kind of a reminder down the stretch here. Uh, you know, you can have a great game plan, but sometimes you just are under-talented, under-manned. And, uh, boy, that that 4th and 10 completion to DK Metcalf, where Russell just sort of puts the ball up, and Cam Dantzler, uh, who had a real nice game and, and is doing nice work as, as a day-two rookie here, uh, he misjudged it to an extent, but also kind of forgot that DK Metcalf can can go get that ball with with relative ease. So let me tell you, I tried the Russell Wilson method. Um, as some of you guys know, Gary and I worked on a Russell Wilson story uh, for the October issue, or the September issue of Sports Illustrated. And, you know, one of the things is this mental conditioning that he goes through where basically he is training himself to believe that everything he does is going to happen like that fourth down cat, like. Uh, catch like when he throws the ball he is 100% certain that it's going to happen um, that the catch is going to be made and you know that affects the way that your body everything works your motor control all that stuff and so uh, last night going into the game um, I decided to kind of run a little bit of an experiment and my neighbor and I are in a relatively high stakes uh, fantasy football league that we're, uh, we ha- we're winless and uh, it's been very, going very badly. And I yep. sent a, I sent him a text uh, at, before the game. We needed Adam Thielen to score 30 points for us, which is an absurd amount for a wide receiver. Um, and uh, I said, Hey, we're going to do this. Like, you know, this is what Russell Wilson does. He believes that this is going to happen and Adam Thielen's going to score us 30 points. And he's like, like, yeah, whatever. Um, went to bed at halftime so I could wake up early and watch the rest of the game. And lo and behold, like I wake up to 10 texts from, holy shit, we did it. You know, this is amazing. <laughs> and so the Russell Wilson method works not only for Russell Wilson, but for you in your everyday life. So I would encourage you to try just 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 manifest it into existence with your mind. <laughs> and it's going to happen. That's why that's why uh, Shaquille Griffin fell down on that last touchdown for Thielen. Totally. Yeah. Like, it's just, I, I made it happen with my mind. Oh, man. Just like Russell Wilson is bending everyone's will to become the MVP this year. Oh, the uh, So Mike Zimmer, the fourth down call, fourth and in inches. Uh, it, was, it was the correct call analytically. It was not overwhelmingly correct. Uh, I was sure he was kicking the field goal there. They're, they're up five. The ball is inside the Seahawks 10 or, or just outside the 10. So it's going to be a chip shot field goal. Uh, that makes it an eight-point game. Uh, you know, the Seahawks have one timeout. There are two minutes left. 
they went for the jugular. They, they tried to seal the game right there on the fourth and inches, and it was the right thing to do. But Alexander Madison just slips a little bit uh, coming out of the backfield. It's not blocked up as well. They had been, you know, they've been dominating the line of scrimmage for most of that game, and uh, that's that's how it turns for the Vikings here. And uh, Mike Zimmer, of all people, I I, yeah, I thought he was going to kick it, and you know, he said after the game he's not going to second guess that decision, et cetera, et cetera. But we'll find out as the year went on. I mean, they, they were aggressive on fourth down all night. Uh, we will find out as the year goes on if that moment, that anecdotal moment, ends up affecting Mike Zimmer's decision-making going forward. I like to, whenever that happens with, especially coaches like Mike Zimmer, you know, I would throw like the former Tom Coughlin in there, you know, like old kind of crusty salt of the earth guys, like whenever they bend just slightly to the pressure of the analytics department and it doesn't work out, I just picture in my head, like, you know, three guys with laptops hiding in a closet somewhere in the facility and Zimmer just like, where is he? Where is the, where's the numbers guy? And he's like (laughs) kicking at every door. It's like, God damn it. Where is that guy? You know, but it happens. And non-anecdotally, I mean, fourth down conversions are up way big time um, this year. And I think the revolution, I mean, the nerds won. I mean, the revolution is over. People agree that this is a good decision to the point where I think only Mike Zimmer might have a problem losing sleep over this. It's very, it just, uh, just play the clip from Revenge of the Nerds, Ogre yelling nerds over and over again. That's, that's, that's the scene in the Vikings facility when they get back. Uh, it, it was just, look, I, I, I don't, I don't root for either of these teams. It was just kind of a shame for the Vikings because they really did show up uh, with a perfect game plan, executed it pretty much as well as they could have. They get, you know, they, they, they take this, uh, you know, this counter punch where the Vikings score, or excuse me, the Seahawks score three touchdowns in like, uh, I don't know, 12 seconds or whatever that was. And then they come back and, and retake the lead. And in the end, it's all for naught. Same thing <laughs> as just going in there and, and losing 50 to 10 like they did to the Packers or something like that. Yeah. But it's you know what I the AF or the NFC North outside of what Green Bay is doing is weird too, and I do think that we're going to see some adjustments there. Um, you know, certainly I don't see Chicago holding on, and I could see the Vikings like kind of just sort of clawing themselves out of this. You know, I don't think that by any stretch of the imagination, especially with the extra playoff and how weird things are going to get. I, I I think that they showed today that they are good enough to at least remain somewhat relevant during the season, and whether that means slogging to eight and eight or whatever it is, I mean that that's about as bad as a Mike Zimmer team is going to be at the end of the day. All right, let's uh, let's go down to Kansas City upset of the day. Uh, I look, I, I've been tracking the stat for a while now. Uh, if you go back over the last five seasons, I guess six seasons now, including this one, uh, Andy Reid was was twenty eight and three against the AFC West. The three losses were all Thursday night games that he lost on the final possession. Uh, they just have completely dominated this division, and the Raiders are going in there. and And someone someone posed the question to Derek Carr about a rivalry, and Carr's quote early in the week was, "We have to we have to win at some point for this to be a rivalry." <laughs> and uh, look, this was it, it, we talked about it before the show. Derek Carr was kind of overshadowed today. It was in the one o'clock window. Not a whole lot of people saw the game. This was a big time performance by Derek Carr. And if you were kind of, uh, you know, there's been this undercurrent of, okay, Gruden's going to get a new quarterback. Derek Carr's not his guy. And at some point he's just going to find the right guy. And that'll be it for Derek Carr. Uh, 
Derek Carr is fantastic in this game, and we wondered going in the, into the year, okay, he didn't attack downfield a lot last year. It's it's just not been part of his DNA. Uh, will he do it with a guy like Henry Ruggs in the lineup now? And and the answer was was yes in this game, and he absolutely outdueled Patrick Mahomes. They go on the road, they get uh, they get a big win here in Kansas City, and you, you just you can't say enough about what Derek Carr did in this game. Derek Carr and John Gruden are destined to uh, quietly despise each other for another five years. <laughs> they're like, um, if anybody's watched the Ozarks on Netflix, they're like the bird family. And they're just going to like stay together for the kids and quietly hate each other. But maybe there's like moments of love and appreciation, too. But the other big sort of knock on Carr, you know, if you look at the air yards and kind of all those statistics was that he was kind of kind of drifting into a comfort zone of a little bit of a check down quarterback, right? You know, a quarterback that kind of kept it intermediate, but this was a highly vertical um, game plan for uh, Las Vegas that, you know, he needed to hit some of these shots downfield and he did. And I think that, um, you know, that, that kind of changes the way that defenses are going to play. Um, we saw the Patriots last week, just beat up on Darren Waller. And then that kind of shut their game plan down. So I think this was a little bit of a response from Gruden to say, okay, we, we've got other stuff here that we can, uh, we can play with. Yeah, it was sort of the signature play in this game was uh, they had a, a tight trips alignment. It was third down and medium. Uh, Hunter Renfro coming over the middle. Chiefs had a blitz on. They had one free defender, Daniel Sorensen. And if you're Sorensen and you've watched film on Derek Carr, you figure 99 times out of 100, Carr is locked in. He's, he's really only got time for one read because of the blitz. He's locked in on Hunter Renfro. That's where the ball is going. So Sorensen creeps up, uh, and then Ruggs runs behind him, and, and Carr ends up going deep with it and hits Henry Ruggs for the long uh, catch-and-run touchdown here. Easy touchdown in the end, but uh, that was not a throw that Derek Carr always made in the past. And, and you know, they, they got... They have a new element to that offense now, and that's very exciting. Uh, I guess you can start to feel a little uneasy about the Chiefs going forward. They suddenly have protection issues, which is uh, it's something we saw early last year when they had a bunch of injuries on in the offensive line. And, and you know, I, I always point to that game where the Colts just went in there on a Sunday night and just hammered them. They just dominated them, uh, Colts defense over Chiefs offense. You're, you're seeing a little bit of that. Obviously, they're, they're putting up numbers right now. Uh, but it's just, it's, it's more difficult for Patrick Mahomes than, than it's been usually in, in the last calendar year or so. Yeah. It's interesting to see kind of where things are going there. And I, you know, I would, I would hesitate to say that like, like the Rams two years ago when everybody's saying, oh, there's a blueprint now, which I did believe because there were so many things that were fundamental to their scheme that were being disrupted. I think the chiefs just need to break out of some habits, some bad habits. I think there's, there might be a little offensive complacency there, but that's not anything that Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy can't solve with three minutes of 1940s Rose Bowl film that they're going to come and, uh, you know, attack somebody with next week. So. <laughs> All right, Connor, please stand by because it is now time for the SI fantasy segment presented by DraftKings. As always, we are joined by Michael Fabiano of the SI Fantasy Podcast, also si.com slash fantasy. If you want this stuff anytime, it's all there 24-7. We get them on Monday mornings here, but uh, uh, Fabs, as usual, we're going to do our early waiver wire, and uh, we'll we'll start with the running backs. And there's not much there, I got to be honest with you. The most popular ad this week will probably be Alexander Madison, 
who is available in over 50% of leagues on ESPN after he put up 20 carries, 112 yards, uh, three catches, and nearly 17 points against Seattle. But all that depends on whether or not Dalvin Cook is able to come back, mm. right? So the matchup is great. I mean, they have Atlanta coming up, and you can't get a better matchup uh, <laughs> as an offensive player outside of the Dallas Cowboys, right? So if Cook can't go, Madison's an RB1. So if he's out there, go out and get him. I feel like in most competitive leagues, he's not there because anybody who knows anything about fantasy football knows that Dalvin Cook is not durable and that they have to have Alexander Madison as a handcuff. And other owners know that if they can roster a player and sit on him and wait until an injury happens, it's Alexander Madison. So, But certainly worth a look off the wire. Uh, Chase Edmonds also uh, is a player that we actually talked about last week. Mm-hmm. Only had eight touches against the Jets, but he had 92 total yards and over 20 fantasy points. The Jets stink. Uh, Edmonds had 15-plus points now, two straight games. And even though Kenyon Drake dominated the touches, he wasn't very good. And it, it took playing against the Jets, and he had matchups against the Lions, and the Panthers couldn't do anything. Had a decent game against the Jets from a fantasy perspective, but I, I would not be surprised if that ends up going committee because Edmonds has looked pretty good in the last few weeks. Uh, yeah. One other guy, I guess, Matt Breida. I mean, he had 10 touches. Uh, he only had 6.9 points, but Jordan Howard was a healthy scratch. By the way, great job with that signing, Miami. Um, although, hell, they went into San Francisco and beat the Niners. So, <laughs> But that, that signing has not worked out. And Miles Gaskin is skilled to get the guy, but it looks like if anything should happen to Gaskin, that Breida would be number two. So he's worth a speculative ad, but he's not going to help you uh, as a fantasy starter right now. All right. And how about the uh, how about the receivers here? This is a long list. And it starts up with Travis Fulgham fantasy points, baby. I didn't even know who this guy was two weeks ago. And suddenly, 13 targets, 10 catches, 152 yards, a touchdown, over 31 fantasy points against the Steelers, no doubt. I mean, the Steelers, maybe their defense isn't that good. I, mean, I don't know. Maybe it's just not that good. But he had a monster game. And he's got a bad matchup this week against the Ravens in week six, but then he's got the Giants and the Cowboys, and those defenses are both bad. So uh, Fulgham needs to be owned. Chase Claypool, not only did he give you three touchdowns as a receiver, he ran one in for good measure, over 42 fantasy points against Philadelphia in that same game. Deontay Johnson left the game with a back injury. He's not been very durable. And so Claypool suddenly is probably going to be one of the most added wide receivers, if not the most added wide receiver heading into week six. Uh, the Steelers have the Browns, the Ravens buy, and then the Cowboys. So the schedule's not great, but Claypool needs to be added, especially as long as Deontay Johnson is going to miss time. LaVisca Chanel, also worth a look. Eight targets, seven catches, 79 yards, and over almost four, uh, 15 fantasy points against Houston, 10-plus points in four of his first five games. Uh, he is owned in mo- uh, he is owned in about 31% of leagues on ESPN. Uh, his schedule looks like Lions, really good matchup by Chargers, and then the Texans. Uh, Henry Ruggs. Only had three targets, but he made him count 118 yards, mm-hmm. touchdown, and nearly 20 points against the Chiefs in a game that uh, no one predicted uh, outside of anyone who's a Raiders fan, right? Now, Las Vegas has a bye coming up, but Ruggs is still worth adding if you're looking for a rest-of-season sort of scenario, which most people, of course, are. Some other wide receivers, uh, Miko Hardman for the Chiefs. Uh, Sammy Watkins hurt his hamstring, so he could end up seeing more work. Preston Williams of the Dolphins. Nelson Aguilar, again, because the Raiders have a bye, maybe not as big of, a, of an ad, but uh, he's had two straight pretty good games. 
with Brian Edwards out. And then if you want to go even deeper, Tyler Johnson of the Bucks, but his value really depends on the status of Chris Godwin. Fair enough. Yeah, I, I don't think any Raiders fans uh, predicted a win over the Chiefs either. Ah, they, they, I'm sure I'm sure they all thought in their hearts that they could do it, and we're still a little bit surprised when it actually happened. <laughs> and you know what, too? I mean, we, we could talk about quarterbacks here, too, in a second. But Derek Carr, he's had 20-plus points in three of his last four games. right? He's playing pretty good. Maybe that's the John Gruden influence, right? But he's not a guy that a lot of people drafted, and he's not a guy a lot of people expected to be a consistent fantasy producer. And maybe at the end of the season, he won't be consistent. Uh, but so far, 20-plus in three of his last four, but he has a bye coming up uh, this week. So he's not going to help you uh, if you need instant gratification. But and he, he's certainly worth rostering in, in a lot of leagues at this point after Las Vegas is by, so going into week seven. Yeah, that's a question. Uh, will Derek Carr ever, uh, ever, you know, start going deep, start attacking? And, well, mm-hmm. yes, the answer was yes. He has yep. Henry Ruggs now. Yes, yes. he is. Uh, well, let's let's talk quarterbacks. I know this one's near and dear to your heart, but uh, um, I, I want to ask right off the top, Andy Dalton. Uh, do, do you run after Andy Dalton here? I, I'm not saying plug him in as, as a starter for, for week six here, but mm-hmm. Andy Dalton, is he, is he going to deliver some consistent value going down the stretch? He, this is the best offense he's ever had, right? Dalton's a, he is a former top 10 fantasy quarterback during his time with the Bengals. And in terms of backup quarterbacks, he's one of the best in the league. Is he uh, a downgrade from Dak Prescott? Hell yeah. By the way, Dak, get well soon. Um, literally was, was just about in tears yesterday watching that game. Um, it, 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 awful, awful. Cause I, I like him as a person. Um, you know, not that I know him personally, but just, what you read about him, people mm-hmm. I know that know him, he's a great guy, and, and and really my heart breaks for him. So, but Dalton's going to be one of the most added players, not just quarterbacks, players. Uh, I, I would assume that his value uh, is probably going to be borderline QB one, QB two, maybe matchup based from time to time, and he will probably be owned in about eighty percent of leagues once we hit kick for week six, and it's mostly because he's been there before. He has had fantasy value in the past, and this offense is bananas good. So with that being said, I would suggest that the Cowboys are probably going to run the ball a little bit more, which means more Zeke. And it is a downgrade for Amari Cooper and CeeDee Lamb and Michael Gallup, for example, because Dak is is just a, a much better quarterback than Andy Dalton. But Dalton in fantasy, especially, I mean, uh, in, in leagues with, with, with 12 or more teams, he'll be 100% owned. Uh, in all Superflex, two QB leagues, he'll be owned without question. Mm-hmm. 10-team leagues, I'd say he even gets to around 80% ownership. He's going to be owned across the board. Um, another quarterback, Teddy Bridgewater, who we talked about last week, said to pick him up and play him. He was my start of the week on SI.com, and he went he went off. I mean, another 300-yard game, uh, 20 points, uh, very, very solid game. Now he's got the Bears coming up, so you probably don't want to play him. Then he's got a revenge game against the Saints, and he's got Atlanta again, and then the Chiefs. And the Chiefs just got their lunch handed to him by Derek Carr. So Bridgewater is a pretty good pickup too. Not this week because the matchup's not great, but moving forward uh, for sure. Some other quarterbacks, Gardner Minshew, who's probably owned in most leagues on ESPN is 56% owned, but that still leaves like 40% where he's still mm-hmm. out there. Uh, 19.8 or more points in all but one game. And then Ryan Fitzpatrick. So Ryan Fitzpatrick is Rodney Dangerfield. Okay. In the second half of last year, he was awesome. He was one of the best quarterbacks in fantasy football. It, it was it was literally like Lamar Jackson, Ryan Fitzpatrick, and Ryan Tannehill, right? Uh, 
He was great. He sucked in his first game this year. Ever since then, every game over 20 fantasy points. And for some reason, and I'm included in this, all of us idiots are still starting to do like Matt Ryan. I mean, Ryan Fitzpatrick has been great, and he's owned in fewer than 75% of leagues on ESPN. Go out and get him. Like, at some point, he's probably going to lose the job to Tua, but he is playing at a ridiculously high level right now, and I don't know why people aren't riding him. And he's got the Jets coming up, and that's a nice matchup. Yeah. Yeah, not yet to a, uh, but I, I, I don't want to, I don't want to disrespect tight ends here, but can I, can I say miscellaneous at the end here? Tight ends slash kickers slash defense. It's, it stinks. Like yeah. it, it's gotten worse that the, there are, there are some more players that we can start with a, a higher level of confidence, like a TJ Hawkinson, Johnny Smith, for example. Right. But Gerald Everett would be the only guy that I'd even think about. And I don't mm. even want him because the Rams, are going committee, it seems, right, with the tight end position. And keep this in the back of your mind as an example. When you draft in the future a player highly who had maybe four or five good games at the end of the season, Tyler Higby was never going to have that 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 level of production, ever. There's no chance. He was averaging 20 points a game. And I drafted him as a tight end one. I think most people drafted him as a tight end one, and he's been a dud. He's had one big game. That's it. He's done nothing. So I don't even know if he's a tight end one anymore. I liked Higby in this game because Washington had struggled against tight ends. Unfortunately, I picked the wrong Rams tight end to start. <laughs> so, I mean, I guess you could pick up Everett if, you, if you're desperate, but no. Uh, Cameron Bray, again, we're digging we're digging at the bottom of the, the barrel here. And then Darren Fells, who was a sleeper of mine and a sleeper uh, of Doc Rotos too, uh, going into that game against the Jaguars, had uh, only two targets, but he had a touchdown in 57 yards. So, I mean, maybe he's worth a look. Tight end stinks right now. It really does. It's it's just uh, – it, it's a tough position to fill. That's the way it goes. We kind of knew it coming into the year, though, yep. right? Yeah, we did. Yeah. I mean, we were hoping – like, Gesicki came back and had a nice game against the Niners, but he's been really unreliable, right? Mm-hmm. We all liked Hayden Hurst, and he's been a dud. So, I mean, there, Gronkowski is, is not startable in most fantasy leagues. We saw that on Thursday, even though the, the numbers weren't terrible, right? They weren't terrible. But, I mean, even with all the guys out – that he, he still wasn't a prominent part of that offense. All right. Well, that's a, that's a down note to end on. But, I know. Uh, it's a, you know what? I got to be honest with you, bro. Yesterday was the first time in a while that after all the afternoon games were over, I didn't want to watch football. Like, yeah. I, I mean, I, I followed along with the Seattle-Minnesota game uh, on, on my Sling app on uh, on my phone. I, I was burnt, man. I was burnt out on football yesterday because <laughs> of the COVID situation. Uh, being a commissioner in so many leagues where people are wondering, what do I do? Can I play my bills? Can I play my Titans? I'm letting people do alternates because it's only fair. Yep. And then in, uh, I'm in leagues that there's no alternates and I got to drop players. I don't want to drop. I've got to ask commissioners, well, what do I do here? I can't set uh, a complete lineup. I don't want to drop players because you didn't expand rosters. Mm-hmm. And, and then Dak with that injury, I, I was a little burnt out on football yesterday, so uh, a little bit somber today because I love Dak and uh, that that really really breaks my heart. But um, uh, hoping that Andy Dalton could come in and, and at least somewhat fill the shoes of, of Dak Prescott. But there are a lot of good players to, to grab off the wire this week. Most notably, though, at the wide receiver position, and I think Madison will probably be the most added player if Dalvin Cook is going to miss time with that groin injury uh, moving forward. Yeah, 
And look, we still have Monday Night Football, Tuesday Night Football to, uh, uh, know, to maybe right? salvage well, the week uh, here. Dude, crossing our fingers that the Titans don't have any more positives. Yeah. Because yeah. I, I told people yesterday, I said, this is what you need to do. If you've got prominent Titans, prominent and prominent Bills, John Brown is replaceable. Okay. Uh, Ryan Tannehill is replaceable. So I would play them unless you don't have a really good alternative because there's risk involved. But the NFL has shown, whether it's arrogance or not, that they're going to play these games no matter what. I mean, it's got to be something awful has got to happen. So like with the Patriots, they couldn't play that game because they had a they had a positive yesterday, one day before the game. Tennessee has got an outbreak right now. That's an outbreak. Mm-hmm. And they're on schedule, according to Adam Schefter and many others in the know, they're on schedule to play that game uh, tomorrow night. So. I just like the fact that the uh, the Dolphins and Broncos game, the NFL was kind of like, ah, maybe we can just get away with not playing this. The Dolphins were kind of <laughs> like, like, oh yeah, how about we go, uh, you know, drop uh, forty three points on the defending NFC champs? I know, how, gonna uh, cancel our is, game. Yeah, see, see, there are certain weeks that go sideways, like statistically. Yesterday was one of those one of those Sundays. The Niners gave up that many points to Ryan Fitzpatrick and the Dolphins. The mm-hmm. Chiefs defense got toasted by Derek Carr and the Raiders. I mean, there was a lot of weirdness that went on yesterday. But uh, uh, as I always say, the only thing that's predictable about the National Football League is that it's unpredictable. All right. Well, we only have them on Mondays, but you can have them anytime you want. SI.com slash fantasy, the SI Fantasy Podcast. Michael Fabiano, the SI Fantasy segment presented by DraftKings. Thanks as always, buddy. We'll uh, talk to you next week. All right. Take care. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Hey guys, this is Matt Jones, Drew Franklin from the Fade This Podcast. we got a great episode coming up. Picks in all the sports, football, basketball, we do them all. But here's a preview of this week's episode. Do you think it's more embarrassing to dye your hair or to have hair plugs? I don't think either are embarrassing if you're not trying to conceal it and act like you didn't. Okay, so you think if you just come out and go, I got hair plugs. Yeah, like check out these hair plugs. I mean, don't just walk around, hey, tapping, hey, hey stranger, I don't want you thinking this is natural. You know, but I mean, <laughs> do you, you have to do that with everyone you meet? try to act like they, uh, you know what I mean. Yeah, but I mean, like, like John Cena got it. You know, when John Cena came back to wrestling, he had a bald spot, and now he doesn't. Mm-hmm. You think he should be required in all interviews to say, look, by the way, I covered up my bald spot? Yeah, I guess it's weird. I mean, you don't wear a sign or, like, put a sign in your yard, but... All right, so what about toupees? Those are the most obvious. I but let's like. say you're like Bill Self and you can get it to where it looks good. 
His is magical. I don't even know if his is a toupee. It is. I think he went into the future and had a procedure we haven't even discovered yet. And this episode was brought to you in partnership with DraftKings. To hear more, listen and subscribe to Fade This on iHeartRadio or wherever you listen to podcasts. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant, just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. All right, Connor, welcome back to the world, as far as anyone is concerned. Let's uh, let's go. The, the, the feel-good story of the day, uh, this was the Rams versus the Washington football team. Kyle Allen got the start, of course, and, and we'll get into the Kyle Allen, Dwayne Haskins uh, situation playing out here. But uh, Alex Smith gets back on the field, and the, I mean, look, it's... A lot of us sat around and said, like, oh, Alex, why does that guy even want to get back? Like, this, I don't know about this. And the point is he wanted to get back, and he got back, and he came back from almost dying. Uh, and quite frankly, you know, when, when people kind of say, like, oh, why, why does he even want to come back? I mean, this is this is it. This is his football career. He can't uh, decide in 20 years that, actually, I did want to play some more football and, and go back to it. This is his window. He is a football player right now, and uh, he gets back out there. It didn't go very well when he got back out there. And, and like I said, we'll get into uh, Washington's quarterback situation a little bit. But uh, um, just amazing he was back there. And, and he did have literally Aaron Donald on his back on one of the first snaps. And uh, obviously he, he came out of it okay. It's one of those weird things where it's almost like if you're a parent watching your kid ride a bike for the first time, um, which I have yet to experience, but I imagine is like at first very exciting and you're like, oh, he's he's coming on the field. And then you're just like, oh, no, like so many things could go wrong here. And, you know, they mentioned, uh, which I was a little surprised uh, that Ron Rivera kind of put him in 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 this situation because Alex Smith had yet to be contacted, period. He had not been contacted by anybody since November of 2018 when he broke his leg. And so, you know, your thought process as Rivera is like, okay, well, it's pouring rain. Uh, We have a horrible offense. We're facing Aaron Donald. Uh, Yeah, let's see what we got. (laughs) You know, let's see what we got going on here. And Smith on the sidelines, too. um, I think uh, the sideline reporter for that game, it might have been Pam Oliver, was saying that, he was just shaking his head. You know, he's he's trying on all these different gloves and basically just trying to shot put the ball because you're in driving rain. Like it was the worst possible situation to put any human being who's coming back from something like that into. Right. It is 
you're begging to get another leg injury. The field sucks. The offensive line sucks, you know, all that stuff, but give him credit. He stuck it out and that's fortitude, man. I I mean, he, if anything else, he locked up the uh, comeback player of the year award with one forward pass. I mean, if you even needed it to see that from him. Ron Rivera just kicking him on the shins and the sideline for uh, for yeah. good measure. Yeah, like what are you what are you doing? Even if you're Aaron Donald, I was talking to someone about this yesterday. Like, wouldn't you just wouldn't you just grab him and then just be like just just go like whisper like go down? You know, like, like <laughs> please how, don't make me you, do this. Please, wouldn't you feel horrible about it? Oh and they were on God. the sidelines like laughing and high fiving, and I was like, there really is like just a players who will tell you this is right. Like you can't think about it. Yep. Um, and, and that goes for anything, whether it's the helmet, to helmet hits, uh, you know, anything like you just can't train your body to do it. So you take the good with the bad and you move on. Like you can't think about it. And clearly they're not because the Rams sacked Alex Smith six, six times. <laughs> Poor guy in his first action back. Yeah. That, uh, that quarterback situation. So Kyle Allen got the start, and Rivera had said after the game that Kyle Allen is the starter going forward if, if he's healthy, etc. Uh, he had he had uh, gotten banged up during this one. Um, Dwayne Haskins, who was obviously he was demoted to third string, he was not at the stadium. They said it was a uh, he was he was very sick with a stomach bug, uh, which which I, I'm, I'm not I'm not just saying that out loud. Sounds like I'm casting down on it, but uh, uh, I'm sure Dwayne Haskins was was feeling ill and and was not at the stadium for that reason uh the issue is uh, i mean i took issue with the haskins benching anyway uh i i thought he was disaster in the cleveland loss uh i thought he was better in baltimore uh i know there's a lot of this you know well kyle allen knows the system uh we kind of saw what the offense looked like with with quarterbacks who maybe know the system a little bit better and it, it didn't look good at all and uh I, there's there's always something to be said for uh, you have to put the best quarterback on the field for the sake of the locker room. There are guys in there who who not only want to win, there are guys in there who are, who are playing for their career. You know, if you're a Dontrell Inman, if you're a Logan Thomas, you're on the fringe of the NFL, uh, you need to put some tape out, put some production out to stay in the league another year. Uh, what Washington had out there yesterday was, it was just not a functional offense. And to... to to look at Dwayne Haskins and say like like oh yeah uh, you know he he didn't know the system well enough it, it wasn't good enough with him well this was one game but it was it was markedly worse without Dwayne Haskins so I, I I'm just I'm not sure how you can sort of be like oh yeah Kyle Allen's the guy he's our guy going forward it's just I I guess we'll see but this was this this was not winning football they were putting out there yeah no it, it and it's interesting I mean. You know, with Rivera, why are you microwaving? You know, uh, well, I'll say this: I I think that he come came in kind of liberated from the Haskins situation because mm-hmm. Daniel Snyder was like, you know, I don't know if he quietly realized it or just didn't feel like dealing with it anymore. But you know, Dwayne Haskins was Daniel Snyder's problem. That was the guy he wanted. He shoved him down Jay Gruden's throat, and then Jay Gruden couldn't develop him, so he was fired. And Ron Rivera comes in with a clean slate, and I think that this was a lot about exercising a little bit of independence and saying, you know what, I want to win. I think we might be able to win and I don't feel like playing with this guy. And so we're just going to move on. And, you know, in some ways you don't blame him because it's not his problem. And, and that I think, 
you know, he can go back to his comfort zone. But I, I do think I agree with you that the ultimate reward would have been higher if you stuck with Haskins and did not derail his confidence. And, you know, I think somebody leaked to the Washington Post that he wasn't studying his playbook and all that stuff, which I think is just a horrible thing to do to, a, you know, a young developing starter. Um, but you know, that's not what Rivera wants. I wouldn't be surprised if they sink low enough to try to get another quarterback at the end of this year and replace yeah. him and move on. But, you know, it's it's one of those things where uh, what, what's kind of the 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 risk reward? I think that somebody will pick up Haskins uh, when they have a long off, you know, a legitimate full off season and really kind of develop him. I know that, you know, you talk to people who know him and he really put a lot into this offseason as much as he could, despite it being totally virtual. Um, and I do think that there's something there, but I just don't think it's people in Washington are willing to or want to put the work into to actually doing that development. Yeah. Yeah. I, I hope for the sake of the quarterback, they uh, uh, they move on and they do move him before the trade deadline here because that's uh, uh, nothing good can come of it at, at this point uh, for Haskins in Washington. Uh, let's go down to... Panthers, three straight wins, though that's not what anyone's talking about coming out of this one. Uh, Dan Quinn and Thomas Dimitrov, uh, I mean, look, at the, the seats have been hot there for a couple of years now, uh, but it uh, it ended. They, they, you know, another disappointing loss for Atlanta. They fall to 0-5. Uh, Quinn and Dimitrov are out there, and to an extent, it, it felt kind of like ownership just saying like, you know what, we, we can't go through another year where we start 1-7 and and finish 7-1 and and say, okay, that's what we're building toward now. But um, it is a shame. Look, this Dan Quinn, this entire defensive philosophy is built around having speed and having talent. Uh, and they just, they're not healthy. It's a bunch of backups operating it. And it's not a system that is conducive to having, <laughs> I mean, no, no system is really conducive to having not good players in it, but uh, this one especially, you need uh, you need the guys who are sort of the you know the, the cornerstones of your uh, of your defense to be out there, and it just it hasn't been the case in Atlanta the last two or three seasons now. Yeah, I, I my argument against this firing was that like um, you just give them the rest of the season to be around the team, you know, and and I think that. Behind closed doors, I think Dan Quinn was really good to his players. I think that he was one of those few coaches that actually said, you know, I have an open door and you can come by with any problems. And I do think that he was one of those guys that actually, you know, put all that stuff into motion and, and did have guys that really wanted to play for him. Just didn't work out. Um, but, I, you know, I think that if you're Arthur Blank, I guess the equation there, the calculus is you want to see what Raheem Morris can do um, with your roster over the final 11 games. I, I just think, you know, if you're going to fire a coach five games into the season, there has to be a really good reason, right? Like in Houston, like it has to be a house of cards that's about to come down or in Cleveland, like where, you know, Todd Haley and Hugh Jackson are going to get into a fight on the sidelines at some point if you don't fire one of these guys or both of them. And, you know, you end up just kind of making that change, whatever it is. But this was one of those things where it's like, you know, what's the point of doing it now? Like, yeah, you guys aren't going to catch the Saints or the Buccaneers. You know, you're not going to make the playoffs. And so just let him hang out with his team for another couple weeks and then do it at the end of the season I don't know but then no I I totally agree with you and and it, it's a it's a point that people don't really consider it's like oh yeah fire the code to get him out of here it's like okay well 
what now? Yeah. You're not going <laughs> to install a new system. You're not going to like, oh, we, we just hired Dabo Swinney for week six, and now we're gonna <laughs> now we're gonna completely redo this thing. No, you're just you're not installing new system. You're there. There's no doubt that the players played for Dan Quinn. That was never an issue. Uh, and that is one reason you would make a change. Like, you know, there, there are rumors of, you know, revolt in Houston and then, okay, well, you got to do something at that point, but that was not the case here. So, uh, I look, I, I get it. It's, it's been just, you know, this is a third straight disappointing year for the Falcons. And, you know, sometimes you just got to make a change for change sake, uh, but uh, I, I don't think doing it right now as opposed to doing it in December really does a whole lot for for what you're going to do in the long term here for the Falcons. I will say this, though. That is going to be an attractive coaching job because it's going to be a high draft pick. And if I'm a coach that is going to get um, a Matt Rule kind of deal where I can kind of sell the uh, pair me with the GM and get us the six-year contracts and all that kind of stuff. I mean, you look at the division going forward. Uh, Drew Brees is done um, in maybe a year. Tom Brady's done in a year. And both of those franchises are going to collapse without those guys, you know, um, at least in the in the short term while they try to build up and and get their own starters, you know, and the Panthers are going to be the Panthers. They're going to be OK. And I think that there's a chance to come in there and really grab that division um, and, and run with it for a, for a couple of years, because all the people that you're really afraid of aren't going to be there for very long. You say that until Taysom Hill goes on his run of uh, eight MVPs and. 11 years or whatever it'll be going forward. Yeah. So uh, but let's, let's talk about the Panthers. I mean, three straight wins now without Christian McCaffrey. It was already one of the least talented rosters. They're young, uh, but they are not very talented. Uh, three straight wins now, all against teams that are objectively better than them on paper. Uh, we talk about every week, you know, they, they have... They have figured it out with uh, with Teddy Bridgewater and with Joe Brady on offense. Uh, Brian Burns was emerging as a star, still is emerging as a star. He left this game with a concussion. Uh, they are figuring it out here in Carolina, and I, uh, it, they they it is absolutely commendable. I thought this was a two and fourteen team. They're already sitting at three and two. Yeah, I mean, really, I thought that was they were the fast track for for the Trevor Lawrence sweepstakes, and all of a sudden they're a team that uh you know. They're a team that has to, uh, I don't know, they're in the thick of things. And Joe Brady's influence is really coming through. It's fun to watch. Um, Matt Rule doesn't seem to be blown away by the moment whatsoever. So, you know, this is... uh, this is a really fun situation and you know, it's not going to get its credit. It's due credit in this season, just based on all the other chaotic things that are happening. But I mean, Matt Rule is certainly positioned pretty well for Coach of the Year at this point if they if they keep this going. Absolutely. No, I thought the Chargers win was a little bit of a, a, a game managed win, uh, but last two weeks, I mean, they have they have really outclassed the Cardinals and now the, now the Falcons. All right, let's go down to Houston. Interim head coach Romeo Cornell now seven fifty win percentage as an interim head coach, three and one, uh, gets the win over the Jaguars. I mean, look, this was uh, the Jaguars practice squad basically defensively out there, so uh, we don't want to go nuts. It was a week where the Texans receivers could actually win in some of their routes, which we have not seen so far this season and also Jaguars don't have a kicker Steven Hauschka poor Steven Hauschka such a fine career just uh uh he's injured and he just couldn't kick the ball so uh all that said Texans get a win 
Yeah, and uh, the search is on for Bill O'Brien's replacement, led by the guy who hired Bill O'Brien. So a lot of good things uh, happening in Houston. I'm sure they're going to love uh, whatever happens there. So, um, but yeah, no, you know, this was a game that Bill O'Brien would have won too. I'm guessing. Um, yeah. You know, I, I think that. But uh, and I'm sure he was sitting at home just, uh, you know, kind of uh, sulking about this. But, uh, you know, whatever, you know, I, I still think that it says something about Romeo Cornell and the fact that you can kind of wrangle these guys up and get them to play for you after a week like this and and, and get everybody in the right direction. You're always going to get that little bounce after you fire a coach under these circumstances. I mean, look at what happened with Hugh Jackson in Cleveland, sort of a similar, uh, similar vibe there, but uh, you know, it's always short lived. It's always going to compress back to reality. And Houston then remains in an interesting position as a kind of a middling team with no uh, help coming via the draft for a long time. All right, let's, uh, let's head out to Cleveland Browns go to four and one with a victory over the Colts. Uh, Look, I, Brown's pass rush took over this game, and I think that's maybe something we overlooked a little bit for a couple of reasons. One, they, they haven't played any great teams uh, coming into this. I do think the Colts are a great team, and and I probably have to reassess the Browns at this point. Uh, Miles Garrett, even Olivier Vernon was, was was getting into it, and Anthony Costanzo was out in this game, so you didn't have the classic Colts uh, you know, starting five that had started uh, whatever, a million straight games, wherever it is. But uh, Cleveland pass rush, I mean, you know, they're not fully formed, uh, you know, at the linebacker position or, 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 you know, they're still working things out at safety. But if the pass rush is going to play like this, like, absolutely. This is, uh, this is a team that's going to win double digit games. Isn't that crazy? Like uh, under any other season, um, we would be uh, freaking out about the fact that the Browns are four and one, but now we're just lopping it into sort of this insane blender of events that is 2020 and just saying, of course it happened this year because nothing makes sense anymore. But I would say that for the first time, this is a team that is aligned on all fronts. And, you know, what I mean by that is, you know, the sort of the analytics heavy uh, front office got to pick their head coaching candidate and they knew what they were going to get on offense. They could draft specifically for and and do free agency specifically for one guy and one scheme. And it's all starting to line up, you know, and I think that there's uh, there's some really special things happening there. I mean, th- this is. Uh, the AFC North is going to be fascinating. I mean, this is going to be kind of one of those like old school years, like when the Bengals, the Steelers, and the Ravens were all relevant at once. Yeah, it's uh, that says the other thing about being four and one right now. They're they're tied for second in their division, which is uh, <laughs> pretty mind blowing at this point. Uh, look, the, the quarterbacks, both sides of the ball, the quarterbacks were not good in this game. Philip Rivers was was under constant pressure for the first time uh, since joining the Colts and did not respond well. He had uh, one really bad pick six. That was, again, kind of like the Jaguars loss. It's just a throw where it's like, what What are you possibly thinking with this throw? Uh, nothing good could have happened. <laughs> Best case scenario is you bounce it off a defender's chest and it's incomplete. Uh, and then he he took an intentional grounding call uh, in the uh, in the end zone, which, again, it's pressure. But it's also, I don't know. I mean, this this is you got to you got to have a better approach than this as a, a veteran guy. Uh, look, Baker Mayfield was getting protected here. There was no Darius Leonard, Julian Blackman, really good, uh, 
uh, rookie safety for the Colts left in this one. Uh, Baker was erratic. Uh, he 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 got a he got a boost from Odell on a on a circus catch, uh, but he put the ball in danger a couple of times. Two interceptions. Had a couple throws in the first half where he just put it in defenders' hands, just sailed passes, and uh, you know all this. <laughs> All this said, Browns are sitting at four and one. The quarterback is is not quite clicking at this point. And if the quarterback does click, uh, then you really have something going here. And I think he will. I think that we saw that. Uh, I I think he's starting to drift a little bit again. And I think that he's just better when he gets the ball out during sort of the um, during the assigned steps or whatever it is in the play. You know, if you know if it's a three or five step drop, it's one, two, three and out. And yeah, that's sort of a dated philosophy a little bit, but I think it's better. It just keeps him um, from from trying to do too much or, or trying to get outside the pocket. And he's good. He's exceptionally accurate when he wants to be. And I, I think that Stefanski is a guy that will will keep him on his tracks. And, you know, at some point, like, look, like you said, if you're four and one, without a really exceptional Baker Mayfield game yet, I think you have to feel pretty good about the fact that like everybody ebbs and flows during a season and his up trajectory has yet to, has yet to hit. Yeah. Good things in Cleveland right now. Uh, let's go out to the Fitz magic show out in Santa Clara. The dolphins just absolutely smashed Ooh. the 49ers here. And uh, we'll start with the dolphins. We'll start with the positive. Uh, Byron Jones is back. And uh, I, I, I don't want to I don't want to go nuts about, you know, when we're talking about non quarterbacks across the league, there are only a handful of guys you truly if they're out of the lineup, it's, it's like a huge impact type of thing. Uh, Byron Jones, who, you know, he, he's a top five corner in the league. He's a true number one corner. Uh, when he was out, the Dolphins had to force their first round pick Noah Igbenogany uh, into the lineup. He's, he's a converted receiver out of Auburn. He was going to be sort of more of a long term investment here. Uh, Igbenogany just uh, he was he was a uh, he was he was a disaster out there. I, I don't know how else to to say it. He just wasn't good enough filling in for Jones. But Byron Jones is back, so you get this Dolphins defense at uh, full throttle now, and they obviously, I mean, they they overwhelmed Jimmy Garoppolo. We'll get to Garoppolo in a second, but uh, also Ryan Fitzpatrick. I mean, there's just no sign that Ryan Fitzpatrick is going to have to head to the bench. I mean, it, at, at the way this is going. And we've seen any given week he can sort of have that meltdown performance. But uh, the way this is going, I mean, you wouldn't even consider putting Tua in the lineup right now. Fitzpatrick is playing too well, and he was near perfect uh, in this win over the 49ers. Forgive the reference, but, you know, having Ryan Fitzpatrick as your quarterback is sort of like taking an edible in college when you go to someone's house that you don't know. Um, and you know, they might be able to bake and they might understand the principles of how all this works, or you might be on the floor, um, just uh, completely unable to find the door in 30 seconds, but it, it's working out right now. And I, I think that the comfortability with Chan Gailey is obvious. Um, but, and, and he can take chances in that. And, you know, I think he's the right, age it's the right time like Ryan Fitzpatrick has never cared right I mean there's always been that sort of YOLO aspect to him but the fact that it's working in a functional way he has the receivers he's stretching the field and you know people are afraid to get beat at this point and so everything kind of has a little bit of a respect factor from the defense it, it, it can help kind of organize the way that you're going to set up your offense and I wouldn't rush too out there I mean what's the point you know you're yeah. you're, you're developing everything else you're laying the groundwork and and I, I think that things you 
are definitely going better than expected right now. Yeah, the offensive line is better. I, I think people didn't realize how good the Devontae Parker, uh, Preston Williams tandem was there in Miami. But uh, other side of the ball here, Jimmy Garoppolo returns to the lineup. He was not uh, fully healthy. He was not moving around well. That said, he also was just, I mean, he was he was, he was was atrocious. This was one of the worst quarterback performances you'll, uh, you'll see. Uh, he did get pulled at halftime. C.J. Beathard went in. Uh, for basically a garbage time second half. Kyle Shanahan says afterwards that he just took Garoppolo out to sort of protect him with the ankle injury. Uh, you know, body of work, you don't worry that much about Garoppolo. I mean, when we were talking, you know, well, you know, is is he good enough to win a Super Bowl? You know, yeah, he's good enough to win a Super Bowl on the right team. Uh, the 49ers losing Nick Bosa, uh, losing DeForest Buckner, losing D Ford. I just think it was too much for them to get back into the uh, championship contention uh, category anyway. As far as Garoppolo goes, it's it's worrisome, but, you know, I don't know, get him back out there, see if you can uh, take some forward steps with this offense in what is probably going to be a, a, ultimately a lost year for the 49ers. Yeah, but I was there was a hot second there where the 49ers came out in the second half and Bethard led a touchdown drive and I think they yeah. were down like by like 10 <laughs> points or something like that and I was like what do you do if you're Kyle Shanahan and he leads this team to a win um during the same circumstances that you were afraid to trot Garoppolo out and and I don't know I mean I think that Kyle Shanahan is one of those people that is overtly sensible and 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 not one of those people who gets caught up in all the ridiculousness. But, you know, and I'm sure there's some, you know, headbanging analyst out there that's going to say, oh, well, you got to be tough for your team and, and all that stuff. You know, I don't think any of this has a real long term effect, but I did was curious in the moment what would happen if Beathard actually did lead a, a comeback drive, because then that kind of hamstrings you a little bit. But um, yeah, does. I mean, this is obviously Garoppolo's team moving forward. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, a couple of weeks ago, people were saying like, oh, it's Nick Mullins. Nick Mullins, is he better than Jimmy Garoppolo, like, no, he's not. And, and we saw it once we saw the larger sample size from Nick Mullins, and you would probably see that from uh, from Beathard as well. But no, I had the same feeling. I was like, yeah, if C.J. Beathard leads a four-touchdown comeback here, things things get a little bit dicey there in, uh, in San Francisco. Uh, let's go. This was actually, I mean, look, this was what I thought was going to be sort of the lead to this show when it was uh, unfolding, the Steelers-Eagles. Uh, Steelers win this one. Chase Claypool just absolutely goes off, and and uh, Steelers did lose Deontay Johnson, who has sort of been the number one receiver this year for Ben Roethlisberger. Uh, Claypool, he's been getting some manufactured touches this year. It's very exciting. You know, He scored on a, uh, a little end-around touchdown run in this one. But uh, they also, he got more use as sort of a traditional receiver in this one. And he was, uh, the Eagles did not have answers for him. And, and uh, you know, the, the physical package he brings, you wonder if, uh, if anyone's really going to have answers for him this year. Yeah, this is as creative a Steelers offense as I think we've seen in a long time. Um, yeah. And and they're opening up the playbook, which I think you can tell takes a lot of stress off of Ben Roethlisberger. You know, he's not going to have to make some of those uncomfortable throws and you're going to be able to manage him throughout the season. And it reminds me a little bit of the way that the Chargers were using Mike Williams um, at, at, at his best, you know, when he was a legitimate touchdown threat in two different ways. But they're they're pushing it in a direction that I think even expands on that and really utilizes Claypool's athleticism. You know, 
this is one of those classic weekends where everybody goes and, and, and acquires him and puts them on their fantasy team. And then he has three catches for 39 yards for the rest of the season. But, uh, you know, I think at this point he is, he's drawing defenders. He's forcing everybody to, um, to take notice and really taking stress off of your 37 year old quarterback. Who's come off, you know, arm surgery. I mean, I think this is as good, as good as it gets for Pittsburgh right now. This is going to sound like hyperbole, but I promise you it is not. Uh, I I grew up a Steelers fan. I I am very familiar with what they've done over the years. This is the most creative offense they have run since, like, Cordell Stewart gone under center back in in the mid-'90s. For the entire run of Roethlisberger's career, it's been... Uh, you know, the, 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 the static, uh, you know, three receiver sets and, you know, obviously a, a lot of stuff where he's deciphering post snap, obviously, you know, they, they streamlined that a little bit over the years, but, uh, this looks nothing like they ever ran under Roethlisberger. And, and that's not to say, you know, all of a sudden this is the most forward thinking offense in the league. It's not that much, but, uh, it's trending in that direction. And that's, uh, that is incredibly, uh, uh, promising because uh, quite frankly I I don't know obviously Roethlisberger goes down and you don't get the answers last year but uh, Antonio Brown was so good in his last couple years in Pittsburgh I think they really didn't have to come up with these answers and and solve some of these problems and it looks like they are doing so going forward um what really excited me about this game and and again I I thought Carson Wentz was going to have an MVP campaign this year uh that is not going to happen based on what happened the first three weeks of the season we saw things get better Sunday night but still were not very uh you know impressive in in uh in San Francisco this game was I mean Carson Wentz was spectacular in this game and no one will realize it because the numbers weren't very good uh his two interceptions one was a Hail Mary and one was a play where uh Zach Ertz basically got bumped off his route uh should have been a defensive penalty on on Vince Williams and uh and and you know ball ended up in in the defender's hands I'm not sure what's going on with Zach Ertz uh I assume he's hurt if he's not hurt this is an extremely troubling decline for him but uh it's Travis Fulgham out there. Uh, Ertz has become completely unreliable for Wentz, uh, and yet Wentz is generating offense here, and he's making plays late in the down. And you know, there's you saw him trying the Superman stuff early in the year, and it was sort of uh, resulting in disastrous stuff. But uh, he is making it work now. He still missed a couple of throws that you like to have back, but he also he had two throws. There was one where. I mean, his rib cage was getting caved in, and he ends up putting it 50 yards in the air just off of John Hightower's fingertips. Uh, and he had another one. He had another one late in the first half that would have been a long touchdown, and Hightower just sort of misjudged the ball, and it went through his hands. And that's just the way it goes. But uh, Carson Wentz, with a couple of breaks in this game, could have had a monster game and a huge upset for the Eagles. Either way, it's just it's night and day from the guy you saw in the first three weeks in the season, and it's the guy we thought we were going to see in 2020. Nuts that they're going to win the division at six and 10. Um, but yeah, no, I think it, you know, he will get better. He will figure it out, but you're right on earth. I mean, that, that is probably the piece of the puzzle that nobody's been talking about and how valuable he's been, um, for Wentz throughout his career. And then to kind of have him absent or hidden or not winning on his routes or, or whatever it is, you know, that that's, it's, it's been gigantic and it kind of puts the Goddard, uh, thing in a bigger yeah. spotlight now. And so, yeah, you have to wonder kind of what, what their next move is because, they can't keep just piecemealing these things together. Yeah, 
along with the interception play where, you know, he got bumped and just, he just stopped. Like it, it was, he didn't even try and fight through it. But there was another play where Steven Nelson, who was a 190 pound quarterback, just absolutely muscled Ertz off of a route. And it's just kind of like that, that, that can't that can't happen because you know who did eat up Steven Nelson constantly in this game was was Travis Fulgham absolutely dominated Steven Nelson. I He's, mean, it's a, Travis Fulgham is the Boston Scott of 2020. <laughs> it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. They plucked this guy, uh, you know, whatever uh, Packers practice squad guy. They pluck him, and all of a sudden he is the only reliable guy in that offense now for Carson Wentz, and and it is. It is working. Aaron Rodgers, who said you didn't have any weapons? You had yeah. Fulgham all along, and you weren't even telling anybody just, about just it. Just letting Fulgham walk here. Ridiculous. Uh, two more games here. Uh, to be honest, Connor, I, I don't have a whole lot to say about this. Ravens, Bengals, uh, you know, we're all kind of like, oh, you know, big test for Joe Burrow. Let's see how this goes. And, I mean, the Ravens defense just just destroyed Joe Burrow. You felt kind of bad for him in this one. And I don't think it changes the way any of us feel about Joe Burrow long term, but it was just kind of a reminder of like, oh boy, like this is, uh, there are going to be some bumps in the road playing on, on this Bengals team. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's, that's the best defense he's ever faced in his life. The most talented, the most creative, the most well-designed, um, uh, add in the fact that you still don't have an offensive line add in the fact that your best receivers aren't really winning on a regular basis. And, you know, of course it's going to be a butt whooping, but you know, it's one of those things where it does not seem like maybe the Sam Darnold Patriots game two years ago where there, there, you could notice an actual change in his career trajectory from there. Like, you know, he did do things differently after that. Um, I, I don't think that that will happen for Joe Burrow. I think he's fine. And, you know, I think he's smart enough to realize that the Bengals have a lot of work to do here before they're, they're able to stand in with the Ravens. Cardinals jets. Uh, is Joe Flacco the future for the Jets, well, I don't know. Maybe we need to see a larger sample size. But the, uh, they were, look, Jets were within seven points in the second half, which shocked me. Uh, but uh, in the end, I mean, look, the Cardinals had to just get aggressive against a team that has, uh, I mean, my goodness, I, the Jets are running uh, Pierre Desir, who uh, I loved Pierre Desir and the, and the little run he had there in Indianapolis. Pierre Desir is is at a point where he is giving like 12 yards of cushion on every snap, and it's just it's just free completions against him right now. And I, I, I feel terrible saying that. And on the other side, it's it's uh it's the other Lamar Jackson. It's it's the rookie from Nebraska who uh I mean look he went he went undrafted because he's just he's kind of like Desir Jr. He's just a guy who you know pretty good length. Can't really run, though, and, uh, I mean, you have to feast on those guys, and the Cardinals kind of waited and waited and waited, and then finally, and then in the end, it was like, you know what? I don't think Lamar Jackson can cover DeAndre Hopkins, and then they just started throwing deep to Hopkins, and that was it. I, I wonder, like, yes, this team is severely undermanned and almost to the point where are Adam Gase and Greg Williams just deploying their personnel uh, in a way that they can show their owner like there's literally nothing we can do like <laughs> look at this yeah like look at how bad this is like I can't I can't change anything but like you know you're not going for it on fourth and short you're just like you know this team just feels like they have zero interest in competing um, and you wonder you know 
when all this stuff kind of happens and all these coaches are getting replaced and stuff. And I'm not advocating for anybody to lose their job in the middle of the season, but like, this is one of those. It's like, man, this is just so weird. Everybody seems to be just sleepwalking through this, uh, through the remainder of the season. And we're only five games in. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, a. Uh, you wonder if they hope they, uh, I don't know, get some other teams with COVID outbreaks and they just sort of start canceling some of these games. And uh, you only have to play like a nine game season if you're the Jets. Yeah, you guys are fine. That will say, uh, let's touch on the COVID stuff just real quick because the one thing that stood out with me, uh, to me, with the scheduling is they just sort of they threw that Broncos Dolphins game just kind of into the ether. They were just kind of like, ah, we'll get to it eventually. It's it's just sort of going to float around out there. And uh, I did kind of get the sense that maybe there's thinking like, you know, it's going to be by December, the 4-10 and 10 Dolphins and the 3-11 and 11 Broncos. And if we just don't play that game, is anyone really going to notice? <laughs> yeah, I think they're just going to like be like, okay, you guys can coin flip for the draft picks, but, you know, let's just keep everybody safe here and, uh, and you know, just uh, let's, let's not put the, a bad product on the field. Yeah, well, we... Uh... At the time of our taping, we still have Monday night football to go. We still have Tuesday night football to go. Maybe, maybe Tuesday night football, Titans, Bills. But uh, uh, I don't know. They're plowing ahead with this thing, and <laughs> we'll see where it ends up come uh, November or December. But uh, so far, so not good, but not horrible. Wednesday afternoon football is going to be a blast. <laughs> it's. I'm just going to enjoy when they finally, you know, like, like they were going to give the Bills the break of being like, you know, we're not going to put you on a Tuesday game and then a Thursday game. But I feel like at some point you're going to have like uh, a, a game move to Tuesday and then uh, they're going to be like, ah, we'll just push it back maybe to Friday or something. <laughs> yeah, just, I don't know. Let's just get to lacrosse season, Gary. <laughs> There you go. I like it. Connor Orr of the Weak Side podcast. Catch him all the time with Jenny Brentis on their new feed. There's a new feed. Why are you not subscribing to the new feed yet? You should. Do it. All right, Connor. We'll uh, we'll talk to you next Monday. Sounds good. The MMQB Monday Morning NFL Podcast is Connor Orr and me, Gary Gramling. We are produced by Shelby Royston. SI's executive producer of podcasts is Scott Brody. Ben Eagle is director of editorial projects and product. Mark Ravick is emeritus editor of the MMQB. Andy Benoit is the founder of the MMQB NFL Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to this feed as well as the feeds for the Weekside Podcast and the Albert Breer Show. They're all for free on Apple Podcasts. And once you do, leave a rating and review for all of them. It really does help other people find the shows, which are also available on Spotify, Radio.com, Stitcher, SI.com, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts.
With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.